You're about to hear my conversation with Dustin Reed. Dustin's been gracious enough to join the podcast every two weeks, so you can expect to hear from him going forward about all things fixed income. In this edition, we talk about the central banks around the world, pausing on Bank of Canada, European Central Bank, and the Fed, and what they're likely to do in the near term, and how investors should think about implementing that in their portfolios. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with Dustin Reed. Dustin is our Chief Fixed Income Strategist. Dustin, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Uh, I thought we'd get started today with the recent announcement out of the Bank of Canada. Uh, what's going on there, and uh, and why have they uh, decided to to do a slight change in policy? So yeah, the bank is uh, in the process of uh, amending its uh, QE policy that uh, that it obviously instilled last year when when things were looking very very uh, dour. Um, the bank's most recent policy meeting was actually not a forecast meeting, the, the March meeting, but it is uh, coming up to a forecast meeting at the April meeting. And a number of uh, people on the street who are close watchers of the bank uh, are expecting the bank to do another tapering um, of its of its quantitative easing program at the April meeting. Now, I would say that there's still a decent uh, probability that the bank could taper its asset purchases uh, a bit later, maybe going into July, the July forecast meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but regardless, it does look like a tapering is is coming from the bank. That's that's being driven uh, partially, um, maybe even mostly by supply issues and demand issues with respect to um, the amount of ownership that the bank uh, already has for Canadian government bonds. The bank does not want to own more than fifty percent of the market uh, for for the sovereign, and uh, it is uh, approaching that probably at around forty-one or forty-two percent uh, currently. So at the current run rate, uh, the bank will probably be close to forty-eight percent ish by the end of the calendar year, and maybe fifty-four percent, give or take, by the end of March next year, which is the end of Canada's fiscal year, as I'm sure many people know. Um, so it's kind of running up against a uh, a buffer that. Or at least a, a you know a ceiling that that it does not really want to pass. I mean, it could it could it could obviously amend that that view, um, but it doesn't look like that the bank is prepared to do so. So the bank's been uh, since October, early November, been purchasing around four billion a week um, of uh, of bonds, and uh, there's a decent probability that the bank's going to uh, lower that amount to three three billion a week. Um, could be a little bit higher, maybe three and a quarter billion a week, but that seems to be kind of the the neighborhood. But importantly, as it did in in uh, October, it looks like the bank's going to do a a little bit of a twist, so to speak, and um, mm-hmm. maybe maybe discontinue purchasing um, notes, uh, particularly inside the two year space, maybe even inside the three year space. It already owns a fair bit of um, of the paper inside uh, that part of the curve. And um, so, so you could see kind of less less purchases there, and then more, you know, further out the curve, which is a you know a mini a mini kind of twist, kind of 
you know, focusing less on one part of the curve and, and more um, on another. So I think it's one of the reasons why, um, you know, we've got, we've got such a focus globally on, uh, on Canadian uh, fixed income, you know, at the moment, not only because of the, uh, the high carry, but also because of the, uh, you know, the twist and, you know, compared to our, uh, our neighbors in the South, who, you know, I, I don't think are, are anywhere close to doing uh, an amendment for its uh, quantitative easing program. The bank here definitely looks like it's it's ready to go. One, one reason it may hold off next month in April and wait till uh, July is, um, you know, the vaccine rollout here has been a little right. bit slower, uh, obviously, sure. as I'm sure many people are aware, um, and, and quite a bit slower than in the U.S. Um, and so, you know, there are some that are saying, you know, maybe just, Hold off a little bit, give another quarter. Let's see what happens. Uh, if the reopening takes a bit longer, then we may need a little bit more, you know, monetary um, accommodation uh, for a little bit longer. And, and so that would be kind of the rationale for the bank not doing it. But it does it does look like it's happening. And I, I think the bank, again, strongly does not, you know, does not want to hold more than fifty percent of the market, um, you know, from a market efficiency liquidity perspective. And, and that's that's a very, I think that's a very fair view in many ways. You know, but is the right number 45%, 50%, 55 sure. I mean, you know, I mean, it's debatable, obviously, right? Um, but, but that's, but that's happening, I think, you know, in the next little bit. So, uh, we're going to see a lot less demand by, by the bank for the short end part of the curve. And, uh, I think that's, you know, obviously the U.S. rates are moving higher, but it's one of the reasons why uh, Canadian rates, particularly, um, and fives have been affected as well. But, um, you know, those, those rates have, uh, have spiked quite a bit higher in recent weeks. Interesting. So um, maybe just uh, staying on uh, BOC in the the rate environment here. You you mentioned the the increase um, of rates going up fairly sharply, uh, and uh, BOC looking to taper. Um, what would what do you think on the rate perspective would make them reconsider? Is there is there a spike up of rates that they're going to the Bank of Canada is going to say, okay, we're going to you know go past that fifty percent threshold in order to keep it under control, or, or how do you view um, the bank trying to um, control that? I mean, I think most of the impact on on Canadian rates is really a global phenomenon. I mean, clearly there's a domestic aspect to it. To be fair, but. Uh, yeah. You know, if, if, we're, if we're spiking globally, um, you know, in the U.S. and Europe and otherwise, then I think that, uh, you know, that, that would cause, cause the bank to do it, uh, to at least, you know, you know curtail. Uh, but I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case here. I'm not, I'm not very concerned about the bank being, um, uh, you know, in, you know in, in concerned about big spikes here for, for domestically generated reasons. It's going to be a global phenomenon. Everything's going to be, you know, spiking higher. And I think that, uh, you know, that's what the bank is probably most focused on as opposed to, uh, you know, a domestic one-off. It's been very, very few and far between where, you know, in the last few quarters where, where the Canadian rates have really gone, uh, materially outside of the directionality of where U S and global rates have gone, you know, during, uh, you know, one, two, three week period. Great. Um, so why don't we go around the globe a little bit and talk about some other uh, central banks? Uh, we'll stop next, maybe at the ECB. Um, again, what, what have they been up to uh, most recently, and and what's your view on on what that may mean? Yeah, for sure. So the ECB, European Central Bank, had uh, a meeting last uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and um, came out swinging a little bit in terms of um, 
seeing that uh, the bank was going to start front loading uh, its uh, the purchases by its pandemic emergency purchase program, which is a program that the bank had set up last year for exactly that for the uh, the pandemic. And last year, the size of the um, as they call it the envelope, the size of the the envelope of the uh, the program was increased significantly to uh, over 1.8 trillion euros. Um, but over the last, I'd say, you know, three, four weeks or so, I've seen a lot of commentary from various uh, people at the at the central bank, um, the voting members, and and also the the executive the executive part of the of the board, and uh, including the chief economist uh, Lane. And a lot of people have been talking about um, the concern for yields rising too fast in Europe. Some mm-hmm. some members have been looking at nominal yields, and some members have been focused on real yields. Regardless, uh, the concern was that yields were rising too quickly, and uh, you know, increasing or tightening financial conditions. So there's a lot of commentary kind of going into the meeting last week, the ECB meeting last week, and I think. Um, Lagarde had a really difficult, uh, had a really difficult, uh, you know, needle to thread, so to speak. Uh, very, very challenging because I think the, I think the, I think the committee is probably as split as it has been since the since the pandemic, uh, you know, took hold uh, last year. So the, the the net of it was that the the bank looks like they're going to, uh, like I was saying, front load purchases. And they're going to kind of re- reassess or recalibrate that every quarter or so. Um, mm. So the bank's been buying through its pandemic emergency purchase program. Um, they announced they announced data weekly, and, and it does fluctuate. But broadly speaking, over the last quarter, it's been a, about 65, 70 billion euros uh, a week. And they did not release a number, probably somewhat purposely to give them a little bit more optionality and flexibility here. Uh, but the, the thinking is that uh, the bank will probably start moving up to 80, 85, maybe even above that. And that's the pandemic emergency purchase program only. And that's, that's per week. But of course, they've got the regular old QE program going in the background, the APP, a lot of, a lot of acronyms, um, <laughs> the asset purchase program. And that was in place, you might recall, before the, the pandemic hit because they restarted the right. QE program after taking a break. So that's running at um, that's running at uh, twenty um, twenty billion uh, euros uh, a month. I may I may have I may have uh, misspoke there for a sec. So it would be about it would be about eighty or eighty five uh, billion a month um, on the pandemic emergency pro- purchase program, and about twenty twenty billion a month on the asset purchase program. So the idea is they're basically going to get to a hundred billion, maybe slightly over a hundred billion. Uh, a month, which would put them somewhat in line with the pace where the Fed is at, um, give or take, at least on a on a notional basis. Um, and and you saw kind of an immediate reaction in in in, in uh, European fixed income with with yields you know, heading lower on the back of that uh, originally, but then we had you know kind of Friday the out day at the end of last week where yields were higher again, and you know it was almost that the the announcement never really happened. So, you know, we 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 continue to have this view that rates are going to continue to grind higher here. Um, I mean, I'll admit I think that rates have been a little spikier than I I would have expected. I would have expected the Fed to be in a little bit more, at least verbally. Um, than they have been, but you know the ECB's clearly been in verbally, uh, you know, attempting to try and 
you know, provide as much um, easier or, or loose financial conditions as possible. Um, you know, but that's one of the reasons why we've been as a benchmark, um, quite short uh, duration, you know, throughout our portfolios. Um, because we are, you know, at least on at least within the sovereign the sovereign side, um, because we think that uh, these 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 global rates are going to continue to uh, to grind higher here as we uh, as we move throughout the year. Makes a lot of sense to to be short duration in the, in that case. Um, why don't we Why don't we turn to the Fed? You referenced them uh, briefly in the ECB, sort of coming more in line with the Fed. Um, yeah, tell me about your your view for the Fed. They've they've taken a, a bit of a different stance, and and they have an upcoming meeting this Wednesday. So maybe a preview of that as well. Yeah, for sure. So I think the uh, I think the Fed meeting this week is a is a pivotal meeting. It is a forecast meeting for the Fed. So we'll get the statement of economic projections and the the dot plot and the, and the forecast, so to speak. I think a lot of people are focused on um, the press conference, and and I would say rightly so. Uh, every time Powell has spoken, people have wondered if he's going to um, start to start to uh, suggest that the rate move is moving a little too quickly for his or the Fed's comfort level, you know, you know sim- which would be similar tone ish to the to the ECB. Uh, my my view, I would say, our view is that that's not going to happen yet. Um, the last time he spoke, he seem to suggest that markets were not, uh, you know, being, you know, trading in a dislocated fashion. And I think that, you know, I, I think we're still in, we're still there, whether you look at nominal rates, real rates, the speed of the change, um, other financial conditions type, uh, indicators. I, I don't think we're quite there. And I think the, you know, I think he's very likely to keep the the same language that he's had the last three or four weeks when he's been on the Hill in, in DC or, or the speech at the Economic Club of New York, which essentially says that you know, we've got a long way to go. Um, and uh, so what's going to be interesting, I think a lot of people are focused on the dot plot, particularly the out year, which is um, 2023, which is basically the last year that the Fed is forecasting in its outlook at this point. Um, they won't start adding 2024 till probably the, uh, the September meeting this year. So People are saying, okay, when when is the Fed going to hike rates? And so far, I mean, at the December meeting, there was nothing through the through the outlook, at least you know, unless you go to the long the long run rate, um, right? Basically, nothing. Uh, a few people had an increase penciled in for 2023, but it was by far the minority. So a lot of people are thinking that the Fed is going to have uh, start indicating that it might start hiking in 2023. And that that famous median dot might indicate a hike or even more. Now, now if you look at euro dollar pricing for 2023, uh, the market's got at least three hikes priced in for that year, or at least by the end of that year, is probably a better way mm-hmm. to say it. So that is, uh, you know, there. I think this week is interesting in so far as this is the week where it's going to be, I think, very clear that the Fed is not. Uh, on track with where the market is. I think the, I think we'll be seeing more of the same. I think we'll see a few more dots higher in 2023, but I don't think the median dot will move, so to speak. So essentially the, the median dot will be still flat um, and suggest that rates are going to, the Fed's expecting rates to stay close to zero through 2023. And that I think could be interesting from a market's perspective insofar as the market might start to say, okay, now we're really starting to gap out here between where 
our expectations are on the Fed. And, you know, the Fed might be, quote unquote, behind the curve. And you could see mm-hmm. some interesting pricing in kind of the, the break-evens tips market there, um, uh, particularly. So, you know, we, we've been long tips for uh, a while now. And I still I still like that, both in our, our core mandates as well as our global mandates. And, we still you know, we still like that. And I think that uh, this will be a very pivotal week in terms of, you know, the market and the Fed kind of facing off and and challenging each other. Um, so it'll be it'll be a very it'll be a, a news filled Wednesday afternoon to be sure. But clearly, the statement needs to acknowledge that the outlook is quite a bit better, particularly on the growth side. I would also say the inflation side. But I think the inflation number for 2023 is where the Fed is going to kind of you know dig in. And I doubt we're going to see much upside beyond 2% around the central tendency for means that the Fed, especially under its new AIT uh, framework, inflation, uh, average inflation targeting framework, uh, will say, look, we're not, we're not expecting to materially uh, hit our mandate. So why would we consider lifting off? Because the Fed, particularly Powell and other senior members of the Fed have said, look, we're not going to we're not going to lift off on rates until um, you know we've made uh, sustainable progress for both of our mandates. So if the forecasts don't suggest that the mandate's going to be uh, achieved, then that's where I think the dots are going to stay flat, and I think you're going to have this this gap or this uh, you know difference between where the market's at in terms of the Fed trajectory and the Fed's own internal forecast. Got it. So the um, so the real crux of the the scenario is the Fed uh, keeping their dot plot lower current uh, at, at current interest rate levels, um, and uh, this the the question mark I guess is more on the inflation side and what the average targeting of inflation will result in the Fed uh, doing on on rates. Um, to, I guess we should round out the globe then maybe uh, maybe get your comments on emerging markets uh, and, and the rates there. Uh, and uh, and what implications that may have for for investors? Well, yeah, it's been really interesting this year. Um, you know, again, I, I would say you know while we we recalibrated our views pretty significantly in in January, um, the the spikiness in the market in terms of rates higher has been a bit of a surprise. I would have expected Powell to come in or somebody and from the Fed, and it, it hasn't really happened. Mm-hmm. So that spikiness has um, impacted EM uh, in a way where I think investors have been a little bit concerned about uh, rates rising too fast, um, kind of uh, cutting off maybe global growth a little bit. And uh, and the dollar story is also, we've had a rising dollar on the back of that. And so you kind of have this double whammy from a macro perspective where rising rates and a rising dollar are generally not the best news for EM. Uh, sure. But I think the rate, to be fair, the rate story has been a bigger driver, given the price action than, um, you know, than than the dollars than the dollar story, which has been a little bit more, a little bit more two way as opposed to one way directional for rates. Um, you know, we still really like EM. I would say medium term. You know, the global growth rebound, commodity cycle. Um, you know, the the amount of savings that's pent up in the in, you know in the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, industrial, you know, industrial inputs that are required to, to make goods globally. You know, we're pretty constructive on, on EM, but when you have these, uh, periods in time, uh, 
where things are you know spiky or a little more volatile on the rate side uh it does it does make a little bit of cause for pause um on the EM side so we're you know we're we're cautious but optimistic on on EM uh and still you know and still hold a fair bit throughout our portfolios not only on the global side obviously but um you know also in our core portfolios and our uh, unconstrained portfolios one you know one particular holding we you know we've we've spent a lot of uh time on is is the china holdings uh, you know we have right about 10% of our global portfolio is in chinese government bonds particularly the 10 year sector and uh you know we're generally very you know versus dura- versus benchmark we're quite uh, short duration um versus the benchmark on our global portfolios and the duration that we do have a lot of it is china um mm. If you kind of strip out the China stuff, it's actually even more. Um, so, and we think China is a great, you know, it's a high yielder in, in, you know, <laughs> on a relative basis. It's, pr- sure. it's very steady. Uh, it's a good, you know, it's a good, it's a good coupon to clip, so to speak. And it's been, you know, a good, a good performer, I think, you know, broadly speaking. Um, so, you know, there, there are pockets in EM that we definitely, you know, we definitely really like, you know, but, you know, others that are not as, pro em for the next part of the cycle um you know the the floating rate the floating rate side is obviously quite interesting if you believe that rates are going to be grinding higher or even spiking higher from you know a higher volatility perspective um you know so we've had a few uh, a few discussions around that in terms of you know maybe adding uh additional uh floating rate exposure you know around the portfolios and uh you know, I think it's going to be very interesting for EM here uh, for the next little bit. Um, the, 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 there are still lots of uh, lots of gains to be had in terms of, I think, strong carry positions in Mexico. I mean, potentially in Brazil, though there's some idiosyncratic risks around Brazil. You know, potentially mm-hmm. in Russia, um, some South Africa. You know, there's some really interesting plays, I think, on the EM side, but. At the end of the day, this is such a macro-driven market at the moment that if if rates continue to be volatile, particularly to the upside, it's going to be um, going to be a little bit difficult for EM to kind of find some strong momentum and directionality here. But we really do like the sector, uh, particularly the I would say the local currency, but also the hard currency. But you know, particularly the local currency. Um, you know, for the, you know, for the quarters ahead and we want to, we want to you know, stick, stick with it on the view that global growth is going to be quite strong, you know, some, somewhat, somewhat anchored by a, a strong China and frankly, a Fed that's probably going to be 6% GDP this year, real, and right. maybe even 8%, maybe 8% nominal. Um, that, that should be a good environment for EM as long as rates don't uh, run away higher. So it's a very interesting market from that perspective at this point. Great, Dustin. Let me let me just summarize uh, sort of what what I've heard, and you can correct me where I where I get it wrong. But um, at uh, in Canada, well, we can start there where we started the conversation. Uh, you expect to see uh, tapering, maybe April, maybe a little later, um, and uh, and the twist uh, for buying out a little bit further uh, in the in the curve. Um, ECB uh, expects to front end their their purchases uh, within that pandemic program, so increasing their rate of buying maybe twenty billion a month. Um, Fed unlikely to to have dot plots go higher, 
uh, and EM be concerned about rates, but really this is a, a rebound uh, for growth story uh, that you like over the medium term might be some bumps along the way. Um, and uh, in your position in the portfolios, generally speaking, I mean, you're not the portfolio managers, I, I understand, but generally a uh, little yeah. light on duration uh, and uh, and pro tips. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, you know, and if, if you liked EM at the beginning of the year, obviously the, you know, the valuation uh, 60 days later looks, you know, a lot right. more favorable now than it did, uh, you know, at the beginning of January. So there's, there's, there's definitely some value in those markets there. If you like, if you like that, that exposure. Perfect, Dustin. Let's, let's leave it there. Uh, we'll, we'll all be paying attention on Wednesday to see what comes out of that FOMC meeting. Uh, but thanks again for spending the time with me. I appreciate the insights as always. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Matt, for having me. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fun facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 